From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. I am uh, doing the show from the home studio tonight up in Thornhill, just north of Toronto. So that means Ian is back at the master control. He's sitting behind the big audio board. Ryan is running the YouTube live stream from his place in East York. And Albert, my fine story producer, is taking the night off. So let's hold, let's hope uh, all the technology holds together and uh, we can deliver this to our transmission for you. Uh, without a wrinkle. So last week marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Robert Kennedy. He was mortally wounded at the Ambassador Hotel after winning the California primary. He was seeking the Democratic nomination for president. His son, Robert Kennedy Jr., recently met with the supposed gunman, Sirhan Sirhan, in the uh, state prison outside San Diego, where he remains behind bars. Kennedy, now 64, is lending his support to an investigation into his father's murder. And we have Sirhan Sirhan's defense attorney about to join us live in just a moment. Uh, in the second hour, essayist, seeker, uh, spiritual warrior, author Thomas Rosetto uh, joins me to talk enlightenment. That's certainly in short supply, wouldn't you say? That's coming up in the second hour. Now, a couple of thoughts on the death of Anthony Bourdain, the celebrity chef, uh, author, television host. I met him, oh, 15 years ago. He was doing the circuit, uh, touring a, a, a book that he had written. I'm not sure if it was Kitchen Confidential. However, struck me as a very nice man. Certainly, I was a fan of his television work. I really enjoyed Parts Unknown. It was raw and honest and dangerous a little bit. I was shocked uh, and saddened by his death. Now, there are a lot of conspiracies floating around that he was murdered. But I have to say, it could be very well that he committed suicide. And if it was, the last thing I want to do is diminish the unimaginable suffering that people who have depression endure. It's an everyday battle. And when people say, oh, it doesn't make sense that he would take his own life. Why would he leave behind an 11-year-old daughter? Why would he leave behind a career that he loved? A depression doesn't play by the rules, folks. It's clever and deceptive and cruel. So again, it very well could have been a suicide. On the other hand, uh, he and his partner, Asia Argento, certainly called out Hollywood and Harvey Weinstein recently. Argento was one of Weinstein's alleged victims, and uh not sure if you heard her remarks at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. I mean, she just lambasted the hypocrisy of Hollywood. And I could certainly see a truth seeker, a courageous man like Anthony Bourdain, perhaps maybe doing an expose on Hollywood's worst-kept secret, the pedophile ring that exists there, for example. That would certainly rub people at the very top and in the innermost circles the wrong way. Some very powerful people. And I also wondered whether, I'm thinking maybe you thought the same thing. I've always wondered whether Anthony Bourdain may have been a CIA asset. Think about it. It's a perfect cover 
for him to get into certain places and gather intel. Regardless, a very sad and uh, tragic loss for his fans and certainly foremost for his young family. A sad loss 50 years ago last week, certainly. Democrat presidential hopeful Robert Kennedy was slain, shot June 5th, 1968, died a day later while seeking the Democratic nomination. The supposed gunman, a 23-year-old Palestinian-American, Sirhan Sirhan, he certainly was present in the uh, the kitchen at the Ambassador Hotel. He was holding an eight-shot Iverwood 22 caliber pistol. He fired all eight shots. All eight bullets accounted for. He injured, I believe, four or five other people. They all survived. They were surrounding Kennedy. But since he was in front of Kennedy, it seems virtually impossible that he could have fired the fatal shots that killed Bobby since L.A. County Coroner Thomas Noguchi at the time concluded Bobby was shot from behind and at very close range. I believe Noguchi was chased out of town for that, if memory serves. Sirhan pled guilty to first-degree murder but says he has no recollection of firing those shots. There were, I believe, something like uh, 14 bullets identified, or 14 bullet holes identified. How do you get 14 shots from an 8-shot Iverwood 22? Well, you don't, clearly. So many questions, so many inconsistencies, which is why uh, Bobby Jr. and a couple of his siblings are now supporting uh, calls for a new investigation. Joining me on the line is Sirhan Sirhan's defense attorney, Lori Dusek. She's an attorney at law, and she has addressed the parole board for the release of Sirhan Sirhan, the suspect in the RFK assassination. Lori, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Are you continuing to work with William Francis Pepper on this case? Yes, I am. And what is the status? I mean, I know that Sirhan Sirhan was originally up for parole way back in 1984, why don't we start there? What happened? Why was he denied a parole? And and what is sort of, give us maybe a thumbnail sketch, what has transpired since 1984? Well, at every parole hearing, the parole board brings up the fact that Sir Han disrupted the democratic process in this country. And that's the grounds that they deny parole. Those are charges that he, was, he never faced in a court of law. He faced... Uh, he was convicted of killing the senator and of uh, t- five attempted murders. Uh, if he had killed anybody, if he had killed somebody named Robert Francis and not Robert Francis Kennedy, he would have been eligible for parole, and I believe he would have been paroled in 1984. In, in 2011, I attended my first parole hearing on his behalf, and in 2016, I attended the second. And, and quite frankly, they're a farce. I, I know as soon as that we walk in there that they've already made up their mind and they're not going to grant parole. They're waiting Paul for Sirhan to admit. Yeah. They're, they're waiting for Sirhan to admit that he killed the senator, and he has no memory of it. And over the last few years, working with Dan Brown and myself, he's come to realize that when he was told that he did it, those people were, were forcing their truth on him. Uh, he now believes that uh, he did not kill the senator. We should uh, talk a little bit about Dr. Dan Brown and his work. Could you uh, could you describe what Dr. Dan Brown does? Yeah, um, 
Dan Brown is a forensic psychologist. He's affiliated with Harvard University, and he's one of the leading forensic psychologists in the world. He's written four books on hypnosis, and in his 30-something year career, he's hypnotized thousands of people. And he says that the easiest person he's ever hypnotized was Sirhan. Sirhan goes under hypnosis so quickly. Now, I've never seen a person hypnotized in person until I saw Sirhan hypnotized. My exposure to hypnosis was like on TV. So it was very interesting to watch. And, and Dan has, in order to make all of whatever Dan does to make it acceptable in a court of law, he follows a pattern where he starts with free recall. And then he'll go into the hypnosis, and then he'll wake Sirhan up, and he'll go back into free recall. So Dan doesn't make any suggestions to Sirhan. And, and, um, an example would be uh, asking Sirhan his memory of what happened that night under free recall. And then while he's under hypnosis, Dan will state, the, uh, some of the things that Sirhan had said in free recall, and he'll say, now, focus on that and, let, and tell me what else you know about it. So he doesn't plant any suggestions, because when the original trial was going on, both the prosecution and the defense had doctors come in, and they hypnotized Sirhan, which is a very strange thing to happen, because you don't usually prep a defendant for trial by having them hypnotized. But both times, both the prosecution and the defense they would lead Sirhan on when he was hypnotized. They would tell him what they wanted him to repeat. And, and Dan has worked with Sirhan now for the last 10 years, spent over 100 hours with him, and I've been there at all, at, for every single uh, one of those hours. And he, he submitted a bunch of psychological tests. He actually gave the Rorschach test again, and he scaled it the way that it was scaled. They changed the way that they um, rate the test. He rated it the way that it would have been rated in 1968, and then he rated it the way it was, would be done today. He also gave a copy of those tests to a colleague of his, and he didn't tell the colleague um, who had taken the test. And they both came out saying that um, Sirhan was not schizophrenic because the defense and the prosecution in the original trial said that he was schizophrenic. There's no signs of that at all. Can, and, and can that last, be determined by a Rorschach test? That's, that test plus many other tests were given. But right. the defense and the prosecution said, pursuant to the Rorschach test and a few other tests, that Sirhan was schizophrenic, um, which he's not. Um, he's been in jail now for 50 years. He's received no psychological treatment, and um, there's no signs of schizophrenic. I don't think schizophrenia is a, a disease that cures itself. I think, if anything, being confined for 50 years probably would... Um, aggravate the condition. One would think. Yes. Laurie Dusek is uh, an attorney at law. She is representing uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Uh, we're heading into a break here, Laurie, but what is it? At, what is the status right now? What is it you're trying to achieve? Are you trying to um, are you trying to get another parole hearing? Are you contributing well, to... Well, our to, next uh, parole what, hearings in uh, 2021... And I don't think Sirhan will even attend that hearing because he's just completely fed up with um, the way they handled it. We have a petition in front of the uh, Inter-American Commission on Human Rights because we've basically exhausted every legal avenue in this country. The Supreme Court a year ago turned down our request. We filed papers, and they were denied because 
supposedly improperly filed time was. But there's some issues with the date that the file was, the date that the, the papers were stamped and the date that they say in their rejection are two different dates. We didn't, Laurie, we didn't, we're gonna, yes? Laurie, pardon my interruption. We're, we're heading into a break. We'll come back. We'll pick up on that. We'll also talk about the recent visit by Bobby Kennedy Jr., Paul Schrade's call for a new investigation. He was there standing beside Bobby that night. He says there were gunmen in behind. We'll get to all of that and much more. Louis Dusek, Laurie Dusek, excuse me, is Sirhan Sirhan's defense attorney. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Lori Dusek is with us, an attorney at law representing Sirhan Sirhan, the supposed gunman in the RFK assassination. That was 50 years ago last week. He was mortally wounded at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles shortly after declaring victory in the California primary. Uh, now, Lori... I don't, I'm not sure if this is something that you're able to answer, but do you, I mean, are you interested, not interested, that's not the right word. Do you have an opinion as to whether you believe Sirhan Sirhan, uh, in fact, killed the senator? Or are you simply taking this case as someone who believes he deserves to be paroled at this point? Bobby Kennedy is my hero. Uh and, and has been since I've been a little kid. So I would not represent Sir Ham if I thought that he was guilty of the assassination. Excellent so, uh, um, answer. Thank you. The other thing I wanted to ask you is Robert Kennedy Jr. recently visited with Sir Ham. Sir Ham. Were you present during that meeting? Yes, I was. I set the meeting up and I was present. And it took How quite a while Sirhan- for the prison to allow uh, me to get clearance for Bobby Jr. How did Sirhan Sirhan react when he was told that Bobby Jr. wanted to visit him? He was pleasantly surprised. He had been hoping for a while. It's interesting because uh, looking through some of my notes earlier this week, some notes from like 2012, Sirhan was wondering why members of the Kennedy family weren't coming out and asking for some of the matters to be looked into. And the members that he mentioned would be Ethel Kennedy and Bobby Jr., so he was very, very pleasantly surprised when, when he found out that Bobby wanted to see him and sit down, and they spoke for three hours. Would you be breaching client confidentiality if you talked in general terms about what they talked about? No, I wouldn't be, because um, things I can't say, I, I, I won't say. Um, Bobby was really, it was really kind of him. He, he shook Sirhan's hand and very quietly said to him, I know you didn't kill my father. And that set the whole mood for the meeting, and I think that put Sirhan at ease. And they discussed things like um, Grant Cooper, who was the defense attorney during the trial. They discussed all the errors in which I think were pretty much intentional that Cooper had done, and all the things that Cooper did not do during the trial. They discussed, because Sirhan was working at a, a horse farm at the time, well, for two years prior to the assassination, he was working at a horse farm, and that's where a lot of, of the story starts. So they talked about horses. Sirhan kept saying to Bobby how badly he felt, and Bobby kept saying to him, look, I know that you didn't do it. Bobby was very interested in how Sirhan spends his days, what he does at the prison, what he reads. So it was just generally that type of conversation. 
he did he did ask Sirhan a couple of questions regarding that night, like whether or not Sirhan remembered having a gun with him, which he does not remember. But he says, obviously, I, I did. Because, you know, there's pictures of him with the gun in hand, but he's got no recollection of it. So those are the things that were discussed. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Bobby to come and see Sirhan Sirhan, the man who for many years many believed was responsible for the senator's death. But what do you suppose took Bobby so long? And what was the impetus for him to coming to see Sirhan? Well, I can't speak for Bobby. I don't know why he decided at this point of time that this is what he was going to do. Well, Paul Schrade, who was the gentleman that was that took the first bullet that night 50 years ago, Paul Schrade was a friend of the senators, and Paul, for years now, has been leading the way in trying to find the truth to what happened that evening. Paul does not believe that Sirhan killed the senator. Paul does believe that Sirhan shot um, him and some of the other five members that were wounded that night. Uh, and I personally, I don't know, because there was not enough ballistic tests done. Actually, there were no ballistic tests done by the defense team. So I can't make any comments because I don't have enough information as to whether who, what bullets Sirhan shot because according to eyewitnesses, after the second shot, Sirhan was pinned down onto a steam table and his gun, people had his, their hand on his arm and he was pulling the trigger and the, the bullets were going wildly, but the majority of the bullets were heading at an upward angle towards the tiles on the ceiling. Right. So right. I think Paul Schrade is the person that's responsible for Bobby getting knowledge on this. When I was talking to Bobby about the autopsy report, I didn't even know how to bring it up because an autopsy report is not an easy topic to bring up to somebody when it's their father's report. Indeed. And, and Indeed. yes, he has read it. And the autopsy report is probably the, the most solid piece of evidence that, that shows that Sirhan did not kill the senator. So and this was why it took him so long, I have no idea, but the fact that he's there and the fact that he did it and the fact that he's speaking out now, I, like I said, I think he's very courageous. Absolutely. Would Bobby, or has he lent his support to, uh, I mean, would he appear at a parole hearing or would he push for an earlier parole hearing? Has he given you any indication that he's willing to do things like that? At this point, we haven't discussed what he's willing to do. Um, but the fact that he did go public and the fact that he has asked for the uh, for a reinvestigation into the uh, murder of his father speaks volumes. The autopsy report that you mentioned, for those listening that aren't aware of the findings, this was prepared by Dr. Thomas Noguchi, correct? Correct. And, and his Dr. determination Noguchi, when, was that when the he senator that, was... that the senator wasn't going to live, he called Sarah Wecht, who's a renowned medical examiner and also an attorney, and Cyril suggested that, he said um, to Noguchi that they didn't want another Dallas because the, the autopsy in Dallas on the president was really botched. So he, Cyril suggested to Tom Noguchi that he call Washington, and, and Noguchi did. And five people, five different members of different militaries, uh, the, the Army, the Marines, and the Navy, flew out, and they supervised the autopsy. The autopsy is, is one of the most detailed pieces of evidence that you could look at. And again, not only did Noguchi do everything, but he was supervised by people who were flown in from D.C. And the findings were that the mortal head wound was in the rear within, at very close range behind, was it the right ear? 
That's correct. It was behind the, the fatal shot came from behind the right ear with an upward trajectory of approximately 40 degree angles, and it was within one to two inches behind the right ear. And they could figure that out by the powder burns that were left on the senator's hair and on the collar of his jacket and um, shirt. He was also Very hit detailed. several times in the back, correct? He Four bullets. Three bullets struck him. The fourth bullet went through his shoulder pad. So he had, he had a bullet behind the right ear. He had one bullet that went to the sixth vertebrae, and then he had a bullet what they call through and through. It went right through his shoulder. All shots from the rear? All of them shot from the rear, all of them at an upward trajectory. And again, Sirhan's position, Roosevelt Greer, who was working security for the senator, had pinned, I believe it was Roosevelt Greer, had pinned Sirhan's arm to the steam table. A number of people were assisting. Sirhan's position relative to the senator was the front and to the left, was it not? Actually, it was to the front and to the right. To the right. My apologies. Okay. That's okay. But he was pinned down after the second shot. They say he had a gun that held eight bullets, and I just told you that four bullets for the senator, and then there were five other people wounded. What happened to the ceiling tiles and and the the bullets that were recovered from the ceiling tiles and and door jams and so forth? The ceiling tiles and the door jams, some of them were destroyed prior to trial, and some of them were destroyed after trial before the appeal. 2,400 pieces of evidence were destroyed in... August of 1968 in an incinerary in a L.A. hospital. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> well, uh, I think we know why. <laughs> well, but, but they would be so blatant. I mean, it's just amazing that they'd just be so blatant. That's a lot of evidence to be destroyed at one time. After the trial, when they destroyed some door jams, they said that they physically didn't have the space to um, keep them. There was those those tiles and those um, that door jam. They had bullets in there, and and if you had added everything up, it would have added up to more than eight eight bullets. Did they recover bullets from Senator Kennedy? Yes, they did. And that in in chambers, without Sirhan's knowledge, Grant Cooper, the defense attorney, stipulated that he would agree with all the ballistic findings of the prosecution even though the prosecution said they could not um, made, make a, a chain of custody. They admitted that they did not, they could not back up where the bullets came from. The gun was not recovered at the scene that evening. The gun was taken out of Sirhan's hand by Rosie Greer, who then gave it to Rafer Johnson. Rafer Johnson put it into his coat pocket, and only hours later, Rafer Johnson went to the police station and turned it in. I, I thought that at a, at a crime scene, they usually look for the weapon. The police didn't even do that. So there was no chain of custody on the gun. And, and they admitted that they could not lay a foundation for the bullets. But Grant Cooper stipulated whatever they said. My word. <laughs> Any and then, and then in 1974 defender. in the Wanky Committee, yes. where they were, Paul Schrade tried to have this reopened and, and the ballistics looked at, they found out that the... the bullet that they say that came from behind the senator's ear was supposed to match the bullets of two other victims, and they didn't. And not only did they not match, but when Tom Noguchi had taken the bullet, he marked it 
his initials, TN, and then the numerals 3-1. But at the Wanky Committee, when they brought out that, supposedly that bullet, it had the initials on it, TNDW. DW would have been Dwayne Wolfers, who was the ballistic expert uh, for the police, the L.A. police. So Noguchi labeled the bullet one way, and then years later, because the bullets were never physically put into evidence at the trial, because the defense stipulated to everything. So it was, Tom Noguchi never examined the bullets at the trial. And so in 1974, when they were finally looked at, they didn't match. This is such a, a blatant cover-up. I mean, any competent lawyer should have been able to get Sirhan Sirhan off. What do we know about this Grant Cooper, his the late defense attorney? What do we know about him? Well, he had a reputation for being, uh, he was a well-known criminal attorney. But the interesting thing is that he was facing charges himself. He was facing felony charges. He was representing a client, Maurice Friedman, who was a co-defendant with Johnny Roselli, the mafia um, member. Mm-hmm. It's, the, the case was called the Friars Club. They used to have poker games there, and they drilled holes in the ceilings so they could look at the people's cards, and they they pass. You know, they, they were cheating that way that they could actually see what the cards that people had. So that's that's how that particular case started. They were arrested. Grant Cooper represented one of the co-defendants. Grant Cooper was found to have grand jury documents on his table. And they were they were not to be seen by him, and he was facing four felony charges. He he was facing prison time, and after he represented Sirhan, and Sirhan was found guilty and sentenced to um, death, uh, Cooper all charges were dropped against Cooper, except he had to pay a thousand dollar fine. So obviously, someone got to Cooper and told him to uh, to play ball. Uh, to railroad Sirhan Sirhan, and he would get off. I mean, that's pretty evident, pretty clear. That way. And it, it looks also another attorney, um, Attorney Parsons, he had a lot of mafia clients as well. And you, it, it just seems, you know, Bobby Kennedy was not loved by the mob, and to think that the, the people that were supposedly defending him defended the people that hated Bobby Kennedy. It just seems that seems to be a, 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 not a coincidence. Uh, Laurie, just hold on. We'll take another break when we come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the fact that Sirhan Sirhan is such a good hypnosis subject and what that might mean. And uh, we'll get into, obviously, the lady in the polka dot dress and much, much more. Laurie Dusek, the defense attorney for Sirhan Sirhan, the supposed gunman in the RFK assassination 50 years ago. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't be afraid. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Laurie Dusek is here, attorney at law, and is defending Sirhan Sirhan, or at least trying to get another parole hearing, and we're talking about the possibility of a new investigation into the assassination of Robert Kennedy 50 years ago. You mentioned Johnny Roselli and how Sirhan's original attorney, Grant Cooper, was defending Roselli in a case called the Friars Club. And it's interesting because Roselli was connected to the Chicago mob and the Chicago mob, Sam Giancana and, and I believe Charles Nicoletti and Roselli 
some people believe were connected with the JFK assassination. So this comes full circle. Who's recommending these attorneys to Sirhan Sirhan? Why did he get stuck with a Grant Cooper? Well, at the time, he didn't think he was getting stuck because Cooper had a fantastic reputation. Now, it's one of Sirhan's biggest regrets. He came from a poor family. They didn't have any money. And I'm not sure exactly who pushed Cooper to do this, but I think that Cooper had reasons to want to take this case. And the big reason is he was facing charges from the Friars Club. I think I feel bad because Grant Cooper's not alive to defend himself, so I'm just making assumptions here. I think that Grant Cooper took this case so he could make the problems that he had disappear. It would appear that that is the case. You know, it doesn't take much to connect those dots. Now, I want to go back to uh, Dan Brown. Is he a forensic psychologist, did you say? Yes. So the purpose of hypnotizing Sirhan Sirhan is to do what? To demonstrate that he may have been hypnotized that day in 1968, that he was a mind-controlled patsy, in effect? Is that what's behind this? The purpose of what Dan was trying to do is Dan and I believe that Sirhan is a Manchurian candidate, and Dan was trying to debrief Sirhan. He was not successful. A lot of hours went into it, over 100 hours. We found out a few things on the hypnosis, but uh, when it gets to a certain point, Sirhan goes into a very defensive mode and just doesn't go any further. Which leads us to the... It's not just hypnosis. Back then... Dan thinks it was a combination of three things. He thinks that it was hypnosis, coercion, and drugs. And the drug would be barbiturates for Sirhan at that particular time. And he thinks that the combination of that, that's how they got the mind control over Sirhan. Which brings us to the mysterious lady in the polka dot dress. Sirhan, Sirhan mentioned seeing this lovely woman at the Ambassador Hotel. They had coffee. There are many witnesses at the ambassador who remembered this woman in the polka dot dress leaving the hotel in an awful hurry with another man unidentified, yelling something like, we got him, we shot him, or something to that effect. Yes, and when somebody said, who'd you shoot? And they said, the senator. And um, people inside the ambassador's hotel saw this woman run out with another man. And then an elderly couple from New York saw the same couple as they were leaving the ambassador hotel and on the front of the property. That elderly couple went up to a police sergeant and reported what they saw. That police sergeant put out an all-point bulletin with the description of the woman and the man. And within 20 minutes, the superior told him to take down the all-point bulletin. They solved the whole crime in 20 minutes. They weren't looking for any other suspects. You have more than five people that saw this woman and this other man run from the scene and the police didn't look for anybody. I read online, and I was trying to look for the story today, and I can no longer find it, of course, but I've, I read online recently where some researcher believes they have identified the woman in the polka dot dress. She passed away several years ago. Are you familiar with this story? Brad Johnson and Tim Tate believe that they, they've... Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, when I've asked Sir Han, Dan and I had brought in a bunch of photographs of women that we thought might look like the polka dot dress girl from the descriptions that we've read about. And Sirhan was not able to identify any of the photos that we brought in. He did say that she had an unusual nose. She looked rather provincial. She was very well endowed. And he thought he was going to get lucky that night. He was following this woman around because he was 24 years old and he 
he thought he met this beautiful woman and, and he'd follow her anywhere. So is it Dan's contention or your contention that perhaps she was his controller, that she perhaps used some sort of a trigger word or spiked the coffee? How does she, she pinched, fit into this, do you think? She pinched him when he had no idea of the layout of the Ambassador Hotel. And he had had four drinks that evening, and that's interesting as well, because Sir Han had only had drinks twice before in his life. So he had four drinks that night, and they went to his head. When he went back to his car, he was going to drive home. When he got into his car, he realized that he was in no shape to drive, so he went back to the hotel to find coffee. When he went back to the hotel to find coffee, he saw this woman. And this woman just happened to be looking for coffee. They started talking, and she said, I know the way. And she took him up to get the coffee. Then this, this gentleman came up and said, you can't stay here, move on. So she moved on. She took him into the pantry, and then he remembers her turning him around and pinching him. And not just a, a small pinch, but he said it was very painful. And at that moment, after the pinch, she turned him around, and he saw, well, that's the way the, oh, the senator was coming in. And Sir Han went into range mode pulled out a gun, and he thought that he was on a firing range. All right, I've got to jump in right here again, Laurie. We'll take another time out, come back on the other side. Laurie Dusick, we are talking about Sirhan Sirhan right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Laurie Dusick stays with us for a short uh, while yet. We're discussing uh, her client, Sirhan Sirhan, who languishes in prison just outside of San Diego. He was transferred there from Corcoran uh, Penitentiary. When did that happen and why? From Corcoran to Pleasant Valley. When they were transporting him, his brother Muneer said to me, I believe that Sirhan's going to be transported. And when I called the prison up, and, and they knew who I was because, you know, I've I had been there numerous times, and I was on record. They denied that Sir Ham was being transferred. And as they're denying that, Sir Ham's in the back of a van being transferred from Corcoran to Pleasant Valley. He was at Pleasant Valley for a few years, and then he contacted Pleasant Valley Fever. So what is they that? transferred what is that? him out to Donovan Prison in San Diego. What year did that take place? That took place, I believe, about three years ago, and it took place on November 22nd. And what is Pleasant days. Valley Fever? Pleasant Valley Fever, with, there's something in the air, there's little spores in the air, and they attack the lungs. People who walk around with low, low fevers, and it can be deadly. So he was transferred from Pleasant Valley to... Donovan. Uh, uh, Donovan, Donovan which is at, right at Rock Mountain. And what is his day-to-day schedule like? What does he do all day? How, is he, how does he spend his time? Well, right now he's working in in the kitchen. He pretty much stays to himself. He has a single cell. Um, that's one thing that we're we've been trying and we're going to continue to to have him celled um, individually. He doesn't read as much anymore because he's losing a little bit of his of his hope and his interest. He exercises and he listens to a radio. That that's how he spends his time. Have there ever been attempts on his life while he was in prison? I wouldn't say attempts on his life, but he has been harassed. And a lot of the harassment has come from prison officials more so than inmates. 
though there have been a couple of occasions with inmates. When, especially when he's been moved from one prison to another, there seems to be this, this prison ritual of turf, and so he's, he's had issues with that. But most how, of the time it's how? issues with individual guards that, that, that try to provoke him. And, and he, he goes out of his way because I, I'm, I tell him, protect yourself, but please keep your hands to yourself. And he does, but you know, it gets to the point where these people just keep trying to provoke him. But he keeps he walks away. How often is he allowed to see visitors? He's allowed to see visitors uh, pretty much as well on a Saturday is when family can come. But his brother hasn't seen him since 2006 for, for numerous reasons. Over the last 11 years, I'm the person that's been from the outside that has seen Sirhan the most. And I've I've only I was there in December with Bobby, and then I was there last June. So that's not a lot of contact with the outside world. His brother and he, they speak on the phone, and the phone rights depend on if the prison's on lockdown, then that week they don't get to talk, but they try to talk every week, and they send letters to one another all the time. Does Sirhan Sirhan receive other mail? Does he receive a lot of mail? No, he does not receive a lot of mail, but he does receive some mail. Are people free to write to him if they wanted to? Yes, they are. Of course, the mail will be, you know, it's all open by the prison in red, and then they decide what goes through and what doesn't. I guess one one of the obvious questions that might, one might ask is, if he was set up and he was framed, and I certainly believe that he was, why would the, the powers that be, who was ever responsible for this, allow him to live? Often in these situations, as we saw with John F. Kennedy, the patsy is eliminated. Why was Sirhan Sirhan, in this scenario, allowed to live? Okay, it's going to be a guess on my part. I've got two theories on that. One of them is probably because the way that they programmed him, where he's got absolutely no memory. His last memory is walking on into that room, into the pantry, and his next memory is when people are pushing him up against the steam table. So I think that him being a Manchurian candidate, they weren't concerned about anything that he could say. Because it's been 50 years so far, and he has maintained the same story throughout the 50 years. Another thought that I have is that they messed up, and he was supposed to be killed. And and when was that likely to have taken place? When was it supposed to take place? In prison? That evening? That evening. I think that I don't think it mattered what door the senator left the ambassador hotel that day. The, the senator's route was changed about 15 minutes before the end of his speech, and they decided that he was going to go through the pantry to avoid all the crowd. Well, nobody notified. Well, best of my recollection, Sirhan's nobody came up and told Sirhan which way the, the uh, senator was going to leave. Only three people in the senator's party knew the change of route. I don't think it mattered. I think they had somebody at every exit. It didn't matter which way the senator went. He was not going to walk out alive that night. Well, particularly if the assassin was walking behind him. Do we have any likely suspects? Well, a lot of people think that the ace security guard, uh, Thane um, Eugene Caesar, who was holding the senator's right arm and who pulled the gun that night, he had a thirty-eight uh, revolver, a lot of people think that he is the assassin. I, you know, for the last 11 years, I've been focusing on trying to show that Sirhan 
could not have done the crime and not looked into as heavily as I should have who I think could have done it, because that's the state of California's responsibility. Right. Uh, in our last filings to the state, they actually wrote that we showed the possibility of a second gunman, and we showed the possibility of mind control, but we didn't show who the second gun person was, and we didn't show who did the mind control. That's not my job. I exactly. did my job by r- r- raising the doubt. It's their job then to solve it. Correct. And you I'm, raised I'm reasonable doubt. You raised reasonable doubt by their own admission. How could they then deny a retrial? Very good question, but they did. It's it sloppy writing, because I'm I so surprised that they actually let that out, because they admit that we showed that doubt. Robert Kennedy Jr. met with President-elect Trump shortly after he was uh, voted into office, and I believe they talked about vaccines at that time. And the possibility uh, was held up that, that perhaps President-elect Trump would... would um, order some sort of a congressional committee into the efficacy and safety of vaccines. So they have a relationship, it would appear. I, I, I could only say what I've read in the newspaper. I did not discuss any of that with Bobby. Where I was going with that is, would a presidential pardon have any effect in this case? I've been, I've been thinking about that for the last six weeks. And now, especially with president writing pardons for just about anybody um it is a possibility it is a possibility i just don't know if um well i don't think anybody really knows how the president's mind works at the moment so um but yes it is a possibility have you had conversations with with paul schrade i understand he's quite elderly now he's in his 90s but seems to be a very sound mind have you talked to Paul Schrade? He was yes, with, the, with the senator at the moment that he was shot, and he suffered a, a head injury himself. He was shot. He was the first person shot that evening. Yes. Uh, Paul has been working so hard to solve solve this, to get Sirhan out of jail, and also to, for the American people to know the truth of what happened that evening. Paul is responsible for the reason. I, Paul is responsible for why Bobby Jr. Um, now believes that Sirhan's not guilty. When, when Paul showed up at the parole hearing in 2016, he spoke eloquently. And they wouldn't even let Sirhan shake his hand. It was, it was just disgu- it's just disgusting the way they treat him. There's no rehabilitation at the prison. They just basically lock him up and abuse him. So what's the next step, Lori? Well, we're waiting to see if the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights is going to... Um, answer the petition that Bill Pepper put before them last June. We have another month to wait. And then after that, I'm hoping that we can gather enough public outrage that we can have a reinvestigation into this. I think people would be shocked to find out what actually went on that night. And if we don't move quickly, you know, as, as each day that goes by, nobody's getting any younger and we're, we're losing a lot of people that could help the case. Yes, you are, as they say, definitely in a race uh, with the with the undertaker. Yes, we are. And how is Sirhan? How how is Sirhan's mood? Is he giving up? Is is he? Understandably, he would be in in a deep depression. I could imagine. You know, two years ago, I was concerned about his mental outlook, but I'm not now. 
Um, Sirhan is a very religious person, and his belief in God, I think, is what, what keeps him going. When I first met him, he said to me, if something happens to me in here, I didn't do it. And, and he couldn't because of his b- religious beliefs. So right. He, he stays right. upbeat. He stays upbeat. Just about out of time, and I'd love to have you back on um, maybe in a month when we approach the uh, the deadline for that for that next stage. But very quickly, how did Sirhan Sirhan feel about Bobby Kennedy? Uh, we've been told, you know, that he he was he opposed Bobby because of Bobby's support for the state of Israel, and Sirhan Sirhan, of course, was Palestinian. What were his feelings towards Bobby Kennedy? Well, you know, um, I'm going to read you a quote. Well, um, Bobby Jr. asked Sirhan about his feelings towards my father. He, he asked him, what, you know, what were your feelings towards my father? And Sirhan replied, he was for the downtrodden, not just here, but around the world. His South African speech still resonates today. Sirhan had a lot of respect for the senator. He liked the senator. This whole thing about the, the um, Israeli-Palestine conflict... Yes, of course, Sirhan was concerned about it. it was, he came from there, and he would like to see peace in the Middle East. But that's not... They're trying to set him up as the first Arabic Arab terrorist, and he's not. But Clearly. The, the uh, powers Laurie, have been uh, very apologies. successful because that's what people think he is. Well, thank you for setting the record straight. Laurie Dusik, I appreciate your time. We'll have you back on if you would uh, agree to that. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we come back, Thomas Rosetto, The Paradox of Living Enlightenment, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.